something like Buddhist Church in Ringbar, we pray that this message encourages and inspires you. A short clip this morning for you. Habits. That's good, you know, like you put these things in day after day after day. These little things, like I practice guitar day after day after day. I complain to my guitar teacher, why am I not getting any better? <laughs> he is very diplomatic and says it just takes time. It's not because I suck. <laughs> the small things, they go a long way. I am getting better. If I look back to when I started, I'm much better than when I started getting lessons. Uh, but the reverse is also true. If you start off small habits that are bad or wrong or evil, just like those dominoes, sooner or later you will fall. The very end, the big one, it gets to the point where you can't escape what's going on. So there's two sides to the coin, I suppose, or two sides to the domino or the white chocolate, as Murray just told me on the way up. <laughs> oh, dear. So today I'll be talking about serving God, walking with God, rather than just bringing him only a song. Uh, and I was struck this last week by the thought of idols, uh, by the thought of declaring my love for God, yet still holding on to things that take his place. Um, I had a friend send me a verse about hating wickedness um, and, and loving righteousness. And I had another friend send me an email with words about people not really understanding um, what life in God looks like or with God looks like, but still clinging to their idols. Um, but also saying in the same email that God will pursue those people. He pursues us uh, because he is faithful even when we are not. So then to add to all this tap, tap, tapping in my heart, which is when things repeat themselves to me, that's God telling me you need to pay attention to what's being said here. Um, so I had some pretty chewy verses in my own but quiet times as well to add to that. And by chewy, I mean verses that you roll around in your head. You walk into your day thinking, yeah, you know, I can't really kind of, I understand kind of what that means, but what does it mean for me? Um, I don't know if you get that, whether you have chewy verses in your own life, verses that make you stop and think and ponder. Um, I have that all the time. Um, but perhaps it's not so much like I'm trying to gain the knowledge of what the verse is trying to say to me, but I think sometimes I don't really, I don't want to hear what God has to say to me in my life about those particular verses. I don't want to hear the steps that I have to take. And that's why they roll around and around in my head for so long, because God is still tap, tap, tapping, still knock, knock, knocking. He doesn't quit on me. He pursues me just like he pursues all of you. Um, with the verses that you read out of his word, they are the things that will put into our hearts what he wants us to do. Um, so that's kind of what I wanted to speak about this morning because that's been in my life in the last week or two. And I suppose in all of our journeys, that's how life is, isn't it, with God? We walk with him. He teaches us how we should go and we have to respond to that. And it's either a yes or a no. There's not really any in-betweens with God. And life with Jesus is supposed to be full. Jesus says in John 10.10 10, that a thief comes to steal and destroy. But he, Jesus, has come that we, we may have life and life to the full. So Jesus came that we may have life, abundant, rich and satisfying. If you read multiple translations of that verse, there the words that come out. Not just full, abundant, rich, satisfying in all of its fullness. So hands up if you want that kind of life. Because it sounds good, yeah? That's it. That's a good sales pitch in John 10.10. 10. And is it awkward to think that if you have declared your love for Jesus and that he is your Lord and Saviour, then you already 
have that life. If you're a Christian, a follower of Christ, you have life and you have it to the full. Yes or no? Why or why not? Jesus came to earth so that we can have the real version of life that he offers, not the thief's version, not the one who wants to kill and steal and destroy, not his version of life, but the life that Jesus came to give us through his great sacrifice. Do you think maybe it's our perspective, our way of thinking? Maybe with the life we are living is rich and full and satisfying, but we just don't realise that because maybe we don't count our blessings often, often enough or maybe, maybe we have things in our lives that take the place of God, that cheapen our lives and our life might not feel so full because we look at other people's lives and think, well, maybe I'd like that more than what I have right now. Maybe our lives are not full because all we do is bring God a song. We don't put our back into doing the things we are supposed to do. We wander off doing what we feel like after singing God the pretty words that we sang this morning. In Joshua 24, this is quite a long passage we're going to read this morning because, well, it's hard to pick just snippets really. Joshua 24 verses 14 to 25. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever. It's going to be easier if that's a bit higher. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live now? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. The people replied, We would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our very eyes. As we travelled through the wilderness among our enemies, he preserved us. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. So we too will serve the Lord, for he alone is our God. Then Joshua warned the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy and jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you abandon the Lord and serve other gods, he will turn against you and destroy you, even though he has been so good to you. But the people answered Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. You are a witness to your own decision, Joshua said. You have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, they replied, we are witnesses to what we have said. All right then, Joshua said, destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. So if we just look at verse 14 for a bit, which I'll read again. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. So serve him wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. With all of your heart. Not just a part of it. Not just the parts that you feel like giving to him. Not just the parts that you don't mind him using for his glory. All of your heart. And put away all of your idols that your ancestors worshipped when they lived in Egypt. So what do we know of Egypt in the Bible? 
symbolically or metaphorically speaking, what was Egypt? Which is where you get to stick your hand up and give an answer. Anyone? What was what is Egypt? What does Egypt use as the parallel for? You are quiet, aren't you, today? Not enough wheat picks or something. Bad kingdom, pretty much. Yeah. Babylon, Rome, all presented the same way, that's right. Egypt is the place you were in before you knew Jesus. It's often used as a parallel for our hearts being in a sinful place and the exact opposite of the promised land where God dwells with us. So if Egypt represents a place of being sinful and separate from God and you are to put away the idols from Egypt, what does that mean? For the Israelites that Joshua was speaking to, it literally meant throwing away whatever golden or wooden or silver or handmade objects you had that were gods, idols. You were to throw them away. And those things had probably been passed down to some of them from when they lived in Egypt. They would have brought things out of Egypt, particularly when the Egyptians gave them a whole bunch of stuff just before they left. They were to take them and throw them away forever, not just put them in a basket or on a shelf and not look at them, except maybe now and again when they feel like getting it out. They had to get rid of them. But for us here, now, what does that mean for us? Because there is always an application to our own lives. When did we live in Egypt? That you can say, my ancestor Egypt passed that down to me. Because we can take it in a literal sense and think to ourselves, well, that's not really me. I don't come from Egypt. I don't have any of those things. But what about before you knew Jesus? What things were in your heart then? While you lived in Egypt, in a sense. In a life that was full of sin that you couldn't escape. And do you still battle against those same things? Or have you let a little bit of Egypt into your heart while you've been a Christian? Playing with things that are not socially bad. You're not killing people, but they're still affecting your heart. They're still bringing a little bit of Egypt into where you're at. Do you get tempted by those things? Do they sometimes seem as though they would bring you a fuller and richer life than what Jesus talked about in John 10.10? And why do you think that is? Why do they look so appealing, those things? When you read the word of God and there's so many good things that he wants to give us, why do those other things look appealing, those things from Egypt? Are we like the people of Israel in this next slide? Verse 16. The people replied, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. And we know how that, <laughs> we know how that went for them. And Joshua warned them, you are not able you are not able to serve the Lord your God, for he is a holy and jealous God, and he will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. And is this where Christians get into trouble? The gap between saying, yes, I will do that, and no, you're not able to, because we're not. We can't do it. On our own, we cannot do it, because God is holy, and we are not. That's just how it is. We are not holy. We cannot be holy, except for Jesus. That is the only way we can be holy. I think we get caught, I get caught, trapped into thinking, I'm not able to do this, I can't do it. 
And as much as I want to serve God wholeheartedly, I seem unable to do the things that he wants me to do. I can't do it by myself. And I really, really enjoy trying to do it by myself <laughs> for some reason. I don't know if you like that. We get caught up in doing things in our own strength, trying to do these things for God that it wears us out. It tires us out doing things in our own strength. If you do things for Jesus, you'll come away feeling alive, refreshed, renewed, because his strength will work through you. We try to fill our own hearts by ourselves, I think, sometimes. We say that Jesus has forgiven us, and we think that in our minds. But in our hearts, somewhere, someplace, somehow, sometimes, the devil will remind us of who we were, or something we did, or something we have going on at the moment, something that's picking at us, pinching us, nagging us. And all of a sudden, this little seed of doubt comes in, doesn't it? And we wonder if we really are forgiven. And when you know Jesus, he fills you. The Spirit of God is given to you and he lives inside of you. You're made new, completely new. The old you is completely gone. It's replaced by the new you. In 2 Corinthians we can read about that. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Do you see what these words say? Jesus died for everyone. Every single person. And what's encouraging to me, personally, is that at one time, Paul, the author of these words, thought only of Jesus from a human point of view. But he came to know Jesus, didn't he? In a pretty spectacular way, really. And he says there how differently we know him now. He writes that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, just as he did. He stopped thinking of Jesus from a human point of view and started to know Jesus. He knew who he was. And have you ever really considered that? Did you give your life to Jesus expecting to be made completely new? anticipating that, looking forward to it. A lot of times people are led to Christ and they just pray a prayer and that's that. They don't, there's no explanation of what you will become. It's just about giving your life to Christ, maybe escaping hell and getting into heaven. Sometimes we don't really think about how new we are. And some days we don't feel, Monday mornings, I don't feel very new. <laughs> so I get out of my car and walk to my office at work. I don't feel brand new. I feel like it's going to be the same treadmill again all week. But I can choose to believe and trust and have faith in God that Jesus has made me new. And in that place, I am separate. I'm different. Because I'm new, brand new through Jesus Christ. So when you buy a new car... You don't ask the people at the car dealer to take your old seats out of your old car and put them into your new car. Have an image of a tyre, or what was left of a tyre. (laughs) 
Or maybe you might say, oh, can you please just put my old tyres on my new car for me? I really like those old tyres. I think they'll go really well with the new rims on my new car. No one does that. No one. There's a guy at work that just got a new car. New Ford Ranger, 3.2 litres and everything. He got teased quite a bit whether he's going to buy the handbag version of it. What colour handbag was he going to get if he got the 2.8 instead of the 3.2 litre and all this stuff. Oh, so funny. But he had to show everyone that car, right? He didn't keep anything old from the old car. Brand spanking new. We don't go and buy a new car and add bits of the old rubbish into the new car. And when we come to Jesus, we don't take any of the old rubbish with us. Jesus wipes it all away and we're brand new. We don't have old tyres. We don't have old seats. We don't have dirty smelling air conditioning in our new car. We're brand spanking new thanks to Jesus. And every day, if you had a new car, which I've, I've never actually owned a new car, so I'm going off what I've smelled other people's cars smell like when they're new. <laughs> when you smell a new car that someone else owns, it smells really good, right? A brand new car smells good. It looks good. I can imagine if I had a new car, if I walked into my garage, I'd love to drive that to work. I'd sit there, I'd think to myself, this is great. I've got a new car. I get to drive it. This is awesome. While I was driving it, I think it felt better. It'd smell better. It'd drive better. Everything would just be better because it was new, right? What do you see when you look in the mirror in the morning? This challenged me from a sermon I read recently. Dan Moller, not read, listened to. He stands in the mirror and he tells himself he's amazing because Jesus died for him. Do you see yourself in the mirror in the morning and think, that's a new car? I'll bet none of you do that. <laughs> oh, is that even me in the mirror? But we are. We are brand new. In Jesus, we are brand new. You can look at yourself in the mirror and say, I am new because Jesus died for me. And Jesus died for me because he loves me and thinks I am worth dying for because he loves me. You can think that. You can know that. We don't have to look in the mirror and see ourselves as something that we are not because we are Christians. We are in Christ and we are supposed to serve him wholeheartedly. Who has God made you to be? Do you only see the old tyres and the faded paint or the gear that you can't change to in your life when you're trying to serve Christ? Do you feel like sometimes you're always in reverse? Who has God made you to be? In Jesus Christ, who are you really? Paul says there is even more room to know Jesus, how differently we know him now. It's a process. It's not like one morning you will wake up and you will know Jesus, just like you won't wake up one morning and know any of us here better than you did the day before, unless you strive to improve your relationship with that person or with Jesus. You're not going to know him any better, are you? And that's where the rubber hits the road. Where is life to the full? If you're brand new and you have Jesus inside of you, do you have life to the full? We look at um, Matthew chapter 25 now quickly. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, morons, and five were wise. 
The five who were morons didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. So there were ten people. Five were foolish, five were wise. All ten went to meet the bridegroom. They all knew who the bridegroom was. Otherwise, why would they go and meet him? They were all going to the same place to meet him. Five of them took the extra oil for their lamps just in case, so they were prepared. They thought ahead, I suppose. Foresight. They thought ahead to the end goal. They wanted their lamps to work for the bridegroom and they made sure that they would be working. But the five foolish ones, they didn't go prepared, did they? And in the end, they ran off having to try and find oil somewhere at midnight. And they missed the arrival of the bridegroom and weren't allowed in. And why was that? All because they weren't prepared. They didn't bother to take extra oil. None of them knew, out of the ten, none of them knew when the bridegroom would arrive. But all of them knew. Every single one of them knew how their lamps worked. Every single one of them knew that they needed oil to make their lamps work. They knew that. The five that didn't take the extra oil, surely they would have been able to see the other five with extra oil. I know it's only a kind of a parable. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but (laughs) at the same time, if you had ten people carrying lamps, five of them carrying an extra jar of oil, and five were not, you'd have to think to yourself, I wonder why those guys have that oil. Wouldn't you stop, turn around, get some more oil? I'm like, that's a good idea, I might take extra oil. What if I ran out with this oil? I might take some more. Surely they thought it was a good idea. And then 6 to 13. At midnight they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming, come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, Believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. The five foolish lamp bearers missed out, didn't they? They didn't keep watch. They weren't prepared. And where is your heart today? On who or what is your heart centred? Do you think Jesus has offered us a rich and full and abundantly rich life so that we can do as we please? Or are we the ones that fall asleep and don't really seek him? We don't go prepared into our day. We don't honour him in all the things that we do. The ones that seem to have the richest and fullest and most satisfying lives are the ones that have thrown themselves at Jesus. They abandon themselves for the sake of Jesus. Those people are prepared. Those people don't wonder if there is a full life in Jesus or not, just like Jesus promised, because they know Jesus. In Amos, you must have, <laughs> I would really like to go back in time and hear these kind of people say this kind of stuff to the actual people they were supposed to say it to, to Israel. 
That'd be, I reckon that'd be a bit scary in a way. These are scary words. Alas, for you who desire the day of the Lord, why do you want the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light, as if someone fled from a lion and was met by a bear, or went into the house and rested a hand against the wall and was bitten by a snake. Is not the day of the Lord darkness, not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Harsh, right? (laughs) How many of us view the day of the Lord like that? How many of us look forward to the day of the Lord? Lots of us. I've heard lots and lots of people say that. We look forward to the day of the Lord when he will come and take us home to be with him. Why do we look forward to that? If you look within yourself at your motive for saying that and thinking that, why do we look forward to that? Is it because you want to be with Jesus? Right answer is yes. (laughs) Just a clue. Is it because it would be easier to just quit the game now rather than play it out to the end. Amos was relaying the words of God to Israel. They longed for the day of the Lord, thinking that they would be set free from all the sinners because they were the chosen people of God. But God tells them that for them it will be a day of darkness. The day of the Lord will be the opposite of what they hoped it would be. God hated and despised their religious efforts that were done without a heart for him. Israel was playing the game, but their hearts were not in it. They didn't go the extra mile and bring the extra oil. They thought if they went through all the motions, that would be enough. I imagine to themselves they were kind of saying, bring on the day of the Lord when we'll be the awesome people, the chosen people. And God will take us home. But God was saying to them through Amos, Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. Harps are a beautiful instrument if you've heard people play harps. It would be hard not to listen to a harp. Jesus says that to the Israelites. Yet Jesus let a prostitute wipe his feet with her hair. The sound of harps and offerings and burnt offerings and sacrifices Jesus didn't, God did not want. But Jesus let a prostitute come before him and wipe his feet with her hair. Now that lady had a heart for Jesus. She wasn't interested in making life easier or pleasing people with her religious habits. In fact, within a few short moments, she had poured out an entire year's worth of her savings onto Jesus' feet in that oil, that perfume. I imagine her life was probably going to be a lot easier if she had a year of wages saved up. She was just so grateful for who he was and for the the forgiveness of her sins. She could have been much wealthier. She could have done it in a more socially acceptable way. But she chose. 
you would have decided to do that. Those things don't just happen. I don't go and wipe someone's feet with my hair. <laughs> We'd probably have to stand upside down to even try. Oh, dear. It would have been a choice. Can you imagine? You know, I get up here, I start preparing a sermon, I ponder what I'm going to say, and I sometimes get bent out of shape about what I'm going to say, and that, I'm at home by myself. I'm reading the Word, I'm praying, I'm thinking, and I'm in a quandary. And here's this lady with a year worth of wages in a jar. Will I go and wipe it on Jesus' feet or not? What will I wipe his feet with? Did you think those things? Have you thought through the mental process of someone like that coming up to Jesus with all the people around him that were being trained by him as well, his disciples? It's not an easy choice to make to go and wipe someone's feet with your hair. But she did. Is there a difference between comfort and a full life? We have this tendency to think that a full life is one where we get to be comfortable. And I suppose we're all, when we're full from food, we feel comfortable, you feel relaxed, you're much more you're easier to get along with when you've got a full stomach. If you want to butter people up in sales or something, you take them out for a meal and everyone's happy. They've had a meal, they have a drink, and they're more inclined to accept your offer because they're comfortable, well-fed. We're conditioned to think that fullness means comfort in a way. Fullness means being happy and content. And society just keeps bashing away at that theme over and over and over. If you have this, you'll be better off. If you have that, you'll be better off. If you have this thing, you can do it quicker or easier. These shoes are more comfortable than those shoes. What about time for just you? You need to be able to get away into the bush with this kind of car. You need that kind of car to go there. We need that kind of jet ski to do that. All these things are trying to sell us fullness, but it's not fullness they are just things they're trying to make us feel happy but they only last for a moment it's still not fullness how do we get to that point where we're complete and whole because that's fullness if we're lacking something we will never ever be full we can't listen to the world it's a trap and that thinking is pretty much the opposite of what jesus teaches us in john 15 13 Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. In John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. Matthew 16.25, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And Luke 9.23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Don't see much of that in the ads, do you? There is no denying yourself here in this world. It's getting what you can, as much of it as you can, so that you can be happy, so that you can have something newer and better than the last person. St. Teresa of Avila wrote a lot. I've read one of her books, but I could not for the life of me find it last when I was preparing this. Interior Castle. And I would say that she lived a rich and full life. She lived very close to God all the time, but only from about the age of 41. And she was put into a convent by her dad because he thought she needed it (laughs) when she was 18. So from the age of 18 to the age of 41, she lived with nuns. 
And it was only at the age of 41 that she really started to know Christ. I find that really interesting if you read some of her life. There's stories of nuns that would invite, they'd have parties in the convent. They'd, ha- they'd wear jewellery to make themselves look more beautiful. They'd try and make themselves more comfortable by wearing shoes instead of going barefoot and all these things. We don't think of nuns like that, do we? But that's, how, that's what she grew up with. And apparently she was a very likeable person, pleasing to the eye. So she fit right in with that and she was a pillar. So she had to fight against that for a lot of her life as well. She was so sick at one point in her life that when she kind of recovered a little bit after four days, she found out they'd already dug her grave for her. <laughs> That's pretty sick. She had many, many earthly problems, earthly troubles, particularly when she started to know God. She started to see visions. She started to have these public displays of God's power in her life, even being levitated off the ground and things like this. People would walk past her writing at night and see glowing in her room. And there was people in her order of church circles that really, really thought the devil was in her and spoke to her accordingly. The people that she had to go to that were above her in that system would try and dumb that down and take that away from her. And she struggled a lot with that because she was supposed to obey the people that were superior to her. The word says that, that we are supposed to do that. But at the same time, she knew that what was inside her was God. So what do you do? So she had all these battles going on. The Spanish Inquisition at that same time, and a couple of times she had to go to those people and explain her actions because she was dobbed in by well-meaning Christian people. She got banned from going to convents. They'd post police people out the front so that they wouldn't let her in. All these things happened because she went about doing God's will for her life. And she knew God. She just went about doing everything, expecting that God would be with her even when she was so strongly opposed. She had a fullness and she marvelled each and every day that God's goodness towards her was given to her because she always saw herself as wretched. So here are a few quotes from her. If you read one of her books, the one that I've read, it's kind of one of those books where you have to read a paragraph or two then just put it down for a while and think about that and then go back sometime later and read a few more paragraphs. She doesn't muck around with her words. The devil frequently fills our thoughts with great schemes so that instead of putting our hands to work, to what work we can do to serve our Lord, that we may rest satisfied with wishing to perform impossibilities. Prayer and comfortable living are incompatible. It is foolish to think that we will enter heaven without entering into ourselves. I live without really being alive. I die because I'm not dying. They're powerful quotes, aren't they? Very powerful. She said somewhere in that book, which I could not find, about people who long to go to heaven, people that long to escape this life just to be with Jesus, and how she came to a point in her life where she would rather live a thousand lives exactly the same as she had if she could serve Jesus. It's only if we die to ourselves that we have true life. That's why she says, I die because I'm not dying. And how do we die to ourselves without becoming aware of ourselves and aware of what we need to crucify within us? The word of God is living and active. 
sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce to the division of soul and of spirit. Read the word of God. God will show you yourself. St. Teresa says that over and over again. God just revealed things to her over and over. This and this and this, you need to give that up. You need to put away those people. You need to stop doing this and stop doing that. But to deny yourself, to tear your heart away from everything in this world and focus only on Jesus, that is denying yourself. Is You will find yourself in trying to do that. Because when you try and give something up that you want, or something that makes you comfortable, or something that gives you the praise of people, you'll find your heart is attached to that. And you won't, your earthly self won't like giving those things up. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Why do we chase our own dreams and our own comforts? What life do we end up finding in those things? And is it the same life that Jesus promises to us? Our idols hold us back or hold us down or turn our eyes away from our Lord. We go off on tangents, trying to fill our life in order that we might have life to the full. But it's still not the life that Jesus promised us. And what does God say? He says to be still. Be still and know that I am God. Who are you in Christ? You're new. You're a new creation. As Joshua spoke to the people of Israel, destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord. I want to ask you this morning what it is that you need to destroy in your life. Not work on. I have in the past been fond of the words, I'm working on it. But if you're working on it, are you? If you're just putting a little bit of effort here and there, the word destroy has a different connotation, doesn't it, to working on it. You need to kill that thing in your life which is holding you back from Jesus. It might be a physical thing, like donuts, for example. Yeah, <laughs> or white chocolate. <laughs> I love donuts. <laughs> it might be an intellectual thing, like learning for the sake of learning, but without ever really applying anything. It might be an emotional thing, like an unhealthy attachment to the praise of people. It might be a habitual thing that you need to stop, like social media. It might be a spiritual thing, like an extraordinary weariness or unusual heaviness whenever you try to seek God. There's lots of things that can hold you down. Lots of things that will offer to wear you out without returning any real life. And this is the part of the message where we all stop for a bit it's the end <laughs> where we stop and we pray ask God to search us Ross if you can put that slide up the last one from Psalm 139 please ask God to search you and know your thoughts ask him to reveal something to you that you need to let go of something you need to destroy in your life and then once you have that impression or vision or thought pray about it ask God to help you destroy it tell him that you want to bring him more than a song more than habitual religious rituals ask him to lead you in the way everlasting to a full life just as Jesus promised search me O God and know my heart 
test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I'll give you a minute just to pray and then I'll close off. I've looked at all these people this morning as I've been speaking. And I've seen the people on Zoom before this service started, God, to see who was logged in. God, all these people that believe in you, believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, these people have your Spirit within them, God. They all want fullness of life from you, God. They all want to live for you and walk for you, walk with you, God, each and every day. I want that, God. God, we let so many things distract us from you. I pray that you would forgive us for turning our eyes away from you and sinking beneath the waves. God, give us the strength, these things that you have shown us today that we need to destroy in our lives, that we need to get rid of, to put off and never find again. God, help us in doing that. Help us by giving us the strength and the courage and the presence of mind, God, to know when those things are coming our way. God, whatever it is in our lives that you have shown us today, I pray that you would give us the strength to destroy it. Not just work on it so that we can play with it for a bit longer, but to destroy it, to put it aside and replace it with you. Jesus, you died on the cross to make us new. We're sorry, Jesus, for turning it into something that it's not. It's not religious habits. It's about approaching you and wiping your feet with our hair, even though it was frowned upon. It's about going about doing your will, even though others will oppose us, even well-meaning Christian people sometimes. God, put within our hearts the things that we have to do to honour your name and to glorify you. And I pray, God, that you would give us strength and courage this coming week to destroy the things that are holding us back from doing that. Help us, God, to look more into your word for who you say we are. Help us to take that on board, God, and to look in the mirror each day and remind ourselves that you have given your son for us because you love us. We are amazing, God, because we are brand new, because your son Jesus died for us and set us free. God, help us to think like the people you have made us to be, like the new creations we are. God, I pray next week when it's testimony time, like Paul wrote so long ago, I pray that we would be able to stand up and say how differently we know you now because of the steps that we've taken in the last week. God, help us to do have mercy over all you have made, God. Thank you, God, for this time and help us to put effort into our Christian walk with you, into knowing, knowing you and our relationship with you. Help us to strive to know you, God, to seek you with our whole hearts and bring you more than a song. Thank you, God. In the name of Jesus. Amen. We pray you've enjoyed this message from Mike Waters Church in Rainbow. For more information about our church, please go to our website at 
www.lifebuilderschurch.org.au Till next time, God bless.